and welcome to the Mindset Nebula, where we discuss SAP, we discuss user experience, we discuss tech, we discuss design, we discuss just things that we're interested in. With me, as always, I have the brilliant and airy and light and fun Jen. How are you doing, Jen? Good. How are you? I am doing great. It is great Good. to have you here. We also have Ethan, who is who is just, you know, I think it's at the sort of at the peak of near bedtime for him. So, <laughs> Ethan, are you going to make it through tonight? I'm good. Good? Okay, you're good. And, of course, of course, of course, we have the darkness shrouded John. John, are you, are you doing okay? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. I'm doing great. <laughs> you know, if, for, for, for our listening public, we do, these, we do these recordings on Zoom, and so we can all see each other, and, and John is just very dark right now, as though he's... He's, he's, he's like in the middle of hiding bodies or something like that. Oh, oh. <laughs> falling into the cannon there. Yeah. <laughs> it's On dark. today's episode, we have great, great stuff. We have a couple of items of tech interest. We have an in-depth discussion of the secrets of SAP UX design and what makes it great. And we have a rousing, lively debate on... An, an issue of vital importance to people who type letters into computers. So with that, let's get started. Ethan, you brought something to us that you really wanted to talk about. So I want to give the floor to you and say, what's the deal? Why did you bring this piece and what is it to discuss with us? Um, so I wanted to talk about the awesome overview blog that um, Margaret Wolney put together on UI5 um, and with what's happened with SAP UI5 in uh, 2020. I would recommend going out and reading it. It's on the um, SAP community website. Uh, it's called UI5 in 2020 and beyond. She covers some really uh, cool topics that are kind of moving in the UI5 space. And... Uh, for those who have, who do sort of SAP and Fiori um, user experience, UI5 is a pretty important framework for that. We've talked about before, yeah. but it has kind of historically been a little bit uh, a little bit creaky in some ways. Let's say um, has some old roots, and um, <laughs> the team has been doing a, a lot of work over the last couple of years to really modernize it, and that that work is finally kind of paying dividends. So she talks about some of the work they've been doing on minimal core and being able to load just like just the tiny piece of the library you need so that your wow. apps load really fast. Talking about the semantic rendering, so they don't have to re-render the whole view every time something changes. They just re-render the little tiny piece that actually changes, which makes things really better smooth and then some stuff about ui5 tooling and what i'm most excited about is being able to write ui5 code in typescript oh you stole ethan you stole my point it's about coming that because that that was what i wrote i read through that and I, I wrote down i literally wrote down i love that they're laying out the typescript future for ui5 that is just so oh, i think once people sort of grasp the two of those together it will really kind of level up people's path to becoming proficient at that and and for writing better code too i think it'll it'll help me make a lot less mistakes <laughs> that's oh my gosh it is that it's so true it's so true yeah so go check that out we'll put the link in the show notes uh guys check it out it's, it's really good stuff i'm glad we're talking about it uh the second item of interest that i that i wanted to kind of bring to the table here 
is the emerging beta of the SAP graph. This is one of those things where you kind of get a sense of where a lot of places, including SAP and otherwise, have these aspirations for enterprise data, right? Which is, which is to say that I want an order to be an order, not an order with these 10 subflavors and six different systems that it could look like in and whatever. I want an enterprise order to be an order so that my, when my enterprise deals with orders or products or whatever, it's just that. From a data perspective, from an API perspective, it's just that. And I don't have to think about it. If I'm an application developer in an enterprise and I'm doing something on top of whatever an order is for my enterprise, I don't have to think about, oh, but is this coming from SAP CRM or is it coming from ECC or S4 or whatever? It's just an order and I just take action and look at it from that perspective. It's aspirational, like I said, it's in beta, like I said, but I, with this kind of stuff, I like aspirational. I like thinking about the future when it comes to these kinds of things, because I think in the stuff that we do day to day in our jobs at Mindset, we're always dealing with so much of that complexity of like, you know, a product is this here, but it's this here. And a product looks like this over here, but it looks like this over here. And once everybody starts speaking the same kind of language, you get to this place where you can sort of innovate faster. The, the tag script, I'll just leave you with this. The, the tag for this is SAP Graph wraps the APIs of existing products, existing SAP products, into a single harmonized API layer across existing source systems. This allows you to easily build applications and extensions for the SAP Intelligent Enterprise. So that's the marketing speak for it, but I like it. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be something that if, if you can get there, if people can get there, it's a thing that gives you power to do more than you used to do. Those are my thoughts. Um, I know it's just kind of a nerdy thing, but it, like, a, as a person who loves thinking about data, that speaks to me in those terms. Definitely. I mean, if, if I were to add anything to that, I mean, as, mm -hmm. as soon as I was, I was looking at SAP Graph, and you know, SAP has a little website about it, I, was, mm -hmm. the, I, I read about two sentences, and I, and I think it was that, that exact description that you gave. And the first thing that came to mind, I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I've heard something like this before from SAP. And, and so my mind went straight to the, the SAP API business hub, where yeah. like we have, we have APIs out there, we can use these different things, but it's, it's totally different. It's on a, yeah. it's on yeah. a whole different plane of, of being yeah. curated and, and unified together yeah. instead of just something out there you can kind of pick and choose from that eh, may or may not be, be the, the best way to, to approach that. So, yeah, yeah, totally aspirational, like you said, Paul. And it, it seemed, I don't know, it, it, it sounds cool. Yeah, it's cool. I'm excited to keep playing with the beta and then and look for it to sort of appear as it sort of makes its way into the product stream in some fashion or other. Who knows when that'll be? As we all know, betas kind of go that way, but I'm hopeful. We'll see. I was going to say, have they, have they announced any other timing for that other than, hey, beta's, beta's closed now for the people who are in it and... We'll you know, it, if next. they have <laughs> announced a timing, they didn't announce it to me. So, <laughs> so it's not real. <laughs> so, so it may as well not be real. Or it was a conspiracy. It, it was a conspiracy to say, uh, <laughs> to say, let's not tell Paul. That sounds more accurate. When this thing is going to become real. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that could be, yeah. I, 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 I know me, I would do that too. Right. <laughs> 
it is a public beta, so everyone can go try it out, see what you think about it. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of fun to play with. It's really interesting. To your point, John, I think it's pretty early days still. It seems to me like it's got a ways to go before it's really at the point where it's it's done, it's baked um, for those business objects that they've got there currently. But it's still a really interesting execution of of the idea of having a single API that spans multiple systems um, with different data models underneath and SAP is doing the work to sort of unify them all. Like I said, it's exciting. I, I mean, we'll see where we go, but I'm excited. So guys, let's come to sort of the meat and potatoes of why we're here. Why, what, why the title of this episode is what it is. We want to talk about the secrets of great SAP UX design. And so uh, like it's something that mindset which is where all of us are currently employed. And hopefully also as of when this is published, we are also employed there. Um, <laughs> but who knows, right? Always a question for Paul. I could, I could always say something, say something fucking stupid or whatever, and you, I'll be gone. But, but right now I'm hoping that we're all employed there when this is released. <laughs> but this topic is sort of baked into our bones at Mindset. Even, even among us who are the hosts here, I think we have a kind of a good mix of knowledge and skills around that, especially when it comes to Jen, because Jen is by trade, by, by education, by, mm-hmm. by personal craft, what? a UX designer. <laughs> so Jen, I want to start with you. Yeah. Imagine that. But I kind of want to get a flavor mm-hmm. of, because since I'm not a designer by education or trade or whatever, before we talk about SAP, Can you just give me like some of the brief highlights, like what is it, apart from all the details of what we do day to day with Mm -hmm. SAP, what makes good design? Yeah, so I would say something that, I mean, it kind of goes with the name, makes your experience better. So for instance, it should be, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be something Mm -hmm. additional that you have to do to supplement your tasks that you're doing. So like you're trying to transfer money without going to the bank. So you shouldn't have to have, it shouldn't be this really complicated process. It should just be something Mm. that you can do nice and quick and it should be delightful and not make you feel stupid. So I think that's one of the biggest things is making it easy enough for Mm. users that they don't feel dumb, I guess, because that just makes people feel really frustrated. And then they're like, I don't want to use this. And luckily with stuff that we make, I don't know if luckily with programs that you use at work, usually you don't really have a big of a choice. Uh, but like with different apps you have in your phone, like if you don't like how this one app works or how this website works, you have all these other choices to go and like people will gladly do that. Right. So I, I heard you say a word like eight times in what you just said. You said feel. Would you call feelings one of the most important pieces of design goals? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I think I mean it goes along with it works with branding as well, not just like going through this flow of the task that you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. as I know a lot of people don't care about how things look as much as like designers do, <laughs> but like if but you they have, should, they should, I know, <laughs> <laughs> if you have two things that do exactly the same thing, but one looks nicer, like sometimes the looks go towards the like how well you can use it too. So like. And in instance, mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. simple. It's like, if you have this negative button and it's purple on this one and it's red on this one, like you're going to know what to do with uh, that one. With the red right. one. Mm-hmm. Like the purple one. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. 
right? <laughs> I'm gonna click the purple one. That one, yes. <laughs> but those like those underlying feelings, right, are really kind of important, aren't they? I mean, people people mm-hmm. react negatively without even without even being conscious of it oftentimes to like inconsistencies and exactly. like niggling issues, things like that. So, yeah. um, and having some, having people who I would say have more of an eye to that and more of a sensitivity to it than some of us techie people um, working on projects sometimes <laughs> is like, it's, it's super helpful to like, to, to, um, to have somebody to sort of like elbow you and be like, you know, Hey, <laughs> maybe we should. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. Sometimes it's like, I know this is really simple and like, it doesn't seem very big, but please. Let's mm-hmm, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of those things that it's one of those things that just when, when you're someone who is like fighting with a compiler to make, you know, like uh, your string literals wrap around lines, like you, you have, you have a very good chance of forgetting. Um, somebody's going to look at this thing and feel shitty. Mm-hmm. they do it or feel good when they do it mm-hmm. and so that that perspective i think um it, it is best coming from somebody who's not fighting a compiler mm-hmm. to make a thing do a thing right yep. so okay so that's that's some generalities now take it give me a couple of tidbits on the sap level now mm-hmm. okay so go go above and beyond sort of your core like designer set sensibilities mm-hmm. drag that down to the sap level so to speak and, <laughs> and give us some more tidbits for that and then john i'm coming for you next so so be ready <laughs> yeah so i would say specifically fiori because i think that's the best mm-hmm. um ux out of sap but they've done a really good job with they have this whole set of web pages that they're called fiori uh, design guidelines SAP Fiori Design Guidelines, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that's something that's really good just because it has like floor plans laid out and mm-hmm. it's got all these rules and stuff to use for certain things. Um, so it's just got a lot of things to keep people. So like someone who's not a designer or who's not mm-hmm. thinking about this, it just gives them rules to follow so that if you use this floor plan over in this app and you use this floor plan over in this other app, like you're still going to be consistent. Like you're going to be doing different things, but as you're going through the different apps, you're going to have a pretty similar experience. And mm-hmm. once you learn that one app, it's going to be super easy to learn that other one because you're just like buttons are going to be the same. The different layouts are going to have mm-hmm. similarities. Right. So right. Um, they've done a really good job with that. And then they have, the SAP UI5 Explored. And so that's a really mm-hmm. good place to go to look at different elements and just kind of like, kind of pick something that's already made. Um, I don't know exactly how it's developed, but. <laughs> Speaking from experience of a, of a couple of other web frameworks, mm-hmm. similar to, to UI5 or sort of, sort of similar to UI5, UI5 comes out of the box with mm-hmm. a lot more of the, pieces built for you so it it is it's easier to so i guess the when i'm when i'm developing an app it is actually kind of surprisingly rare for me to make a custom control Mm -hmm. in an app because ui5 comes with so much oh yeah a ton yep that like i i think almost all the apps i've made in various for various things have been able to sort of piece it together 
-hmm. from the blocks that are already there in UI5. Yep. It's kind of incredible, yeah, it, actually. Yeah, it's great for development, but it's also great mm -hmm. for um, design and UX yeah, because... Because like, I didn't mean to steal your design thunder. I, I <laughs> no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's good on both sides. Like, it's already built. You're not building something from scratch, and you're keeping it consistent with the other things. So, like, they've already built this. They've already gone through it. They've tested it, I'm sure, and it just keeps it more consistent. Is it good. does. It do, And, it, it, like, it... it uh, it also makes things kind of amazingly more productive to, I mean, things can be more bite-sized mm -hmm. when you do it that way. Like I'm working on a project right now. We're delivering 22 apps for this project in the course oh, yeah. of five, six months or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. That's it's, it's amazing to think that it, because when you think about consumer things or larger business things, 22 applications is nuts to think about in mm -hmm. terms of what you do, but this is like, Boom, 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 boom. It's like a week and a half and I've got one for you. And I'm on with yeah. the next one. Yeah. So John, John, I'm looking at you because you, your, your role in your life at Mindset is a little bit different than what, than what Ethan and Jen and I live in terms of you, you've got apps that were putting out there into the world right not yeah. not bespoke for like one client but they're out there in the world so what are the what are the user experience things that you keep in mind when you work on that stuff so it's a it, thanks for asking because it's a really really good question and, and mm -hmm. a lot of it is the same because obviously we're following design guidelines we're following sap standards we're doing a lot of those things mm -hmm. just like we would do for a client or a customer but sure. even as we we were you know talking about having this topic as a, as a podcast and really getting into that, what is great, great UX? I, I kind of looked at that for, you know, quote unquote, our mindset software products team. And I'm kind of trying to live this, this new mantra of when we have an app that we want to push out to the market, it should be, um, and I kind of came up with a little cool quotation for this, but easy to use, easy to love. And, it, uh, and it's just mm -hmm. from what, whether that's from purchase to installation to productive usage for end users, it should be simple. It should be an easy process. That should mean I'm not only giving someone code, I'm giving someone maybe security roles. I'm giving someone launch pad config if it's yeah. something that goes there. I'm giving people really, really good documentation that goes along with that. It means that we're handling that end-to-end -end consumer experience in a hopeful consumer grade way where it doesn't matter whether you're the IT person trying to get this thing running in your environment or the end user, everyone is loving it. Everyone is getting through that process. And so it's, it's, um, it's been a change for me, you know, coming from more of a, more of a customer client delivery background to try to think of, of both sides of the equation, right? We're usually mm -hmm. trying to say, Hey, let's do all of that really crappy shitty backend stuff over here mm -hmm. and not worry about that. We, we want to make it easy for the end user. And it's the, the only part that's different about that for products is we need to help also the IT people that are going to be installing, using, and supporting this product for, for the long term. So I have two reactions to what you just said. One is that I like what you said about the IT people as like, the, it's almost like the IT people are joining the user community of the things that we are making, in, at least in the space of the app analyzer, yeah. in terms of, in terms of who are the people we're trying to empathize with? Who are the people who are human beings having feelings and doing things along with what we do? The second thing I, the second reaction I had was that 
there there i had there's this awesome one level of recursion to what you said because you said easy to use easy to love and i think that that phrase itself is easy to use and easy to love <laughs> i really like that i really do that's that's mm -hmm. i'm gonna okay. like you, we, we we really I, like that's an amazing we should start like every I, blog we do now should just say like easy to use easy to love no matter what we're talking about and just lead with that right mm -hmm. it's perfect it's perfect i really I, like if you that. don't like that phrase stop listening now because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be hearing a lot more of it from paul oh, oh my god he is oh, going to beat the shit out of that phrase oh my god but so, that's why it's easy to love yes <laughs> yes uh, I mean, the the only other side of that for products is obviously from from the the mindset catalogs of everything that we've done for clients. We're able to to pick and choose mm -hmm. the best SAP UX controls. We've seen mm -hmm. it in design thinking workshops. We've seen it within what we what we put out to end users. You know, we're we're iterating all the times for customers and clients. We're iterating all the time for ourselves, and yeah, we just take all of those learnings and and try to push all of that into a single product. Oh, that's um, so cool, dude. Which, that's cool. Which, you know what? Makes it easy to use. Easy <laughs> to love. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Marketing oh, brilliant. This is, no. this is John. John, you just, you just, you should have, you should have instantly like self trademarked that or whatever as soon as you said it. Because it's too late. It's out in the world now. Everyone's oh. going to use it. Um, so, we'll to push. yeah. Ethan, I want to I want to turn my gaze to you for a minute here, and I want to put on or keep on my nerd glasses, because I want to understand from you what are, what are the technical things that you're keeping in mind when you get a a great UX design from someone like Jen, uh, and you're making it real in the universe. Like, what are the technical things that are top of the list in making this stuff real? Yeah. Um... Well, you know, as as Jen knows, the first thing that always happens when I get a design from Jen is I'm like, well, this doesn't quite match this UI5 <laughs> control. Could we nudge it a little bit so that it's easier for me? And, and Jen is very patient with me. <laughs> um, but um, but I mean, I think that gets to kind of like one to kind of one of the things that I try to look at from a little bit more of a technical perspective, which is this consistency concept and behaving as expected. So it really, you know, it really depends on the app and where it's going to run. But a lot of the apps that we build for as Fiori apps are running in the Fiori Launchpad alongside other Fiori apps that are delivered by SAP or um, or written by the customer or written by other developers. It's it's usually good from a consistency standpoint to use these sort of standard controls as much as possible, right? The other thing mm -hmm. that I try to think about, um, you know, more and more as I do, as I've done more and more of this over the last 10 years is speed, actually. <laughs> so there's, there are a bunch of different sort of types of speed. Um, the one of the most important types is just the speed of immediate interaction that the user has with the application. So if, you know, there's a certain amount of facts of life around having to um, make service calls and things like that. And, you know, we have to deal with pesky little concepts like the speed of light and people in Australia have slow internet <laughs> and, you know, all that stuff, right? So you can't make everything lightning fast, right? But what you can do as a developer is make sure that your that your user interface reacts immediately whenever 
anybody interacts with it. Um, even if that immediate reaction yeah. is just setting a busy state and saying, hey, I'm working on this, um, hang on. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and so just making sure that that type of speed is happening for users has almost a subconscious effect on people using the application that just makes it much more pleasant. John, this is your cue. Easy to use. Easy to <laughs> <laughs> oh, <clears throat> that's that's right. This really hit home for me when I was working on um, some non-SAP, non-Fiori um, data analysis products, and the importance of having an immediate interaction with data was so much more important for people being able to understand it and get a feel for it than sort of being able to deal with a lot of data, for example. Um, so we found that it worked actually a lot better to sort of pre-aggregate data in very specific ways that made the interaction patterns that users had happen in almost instantaneously. So like, you know, under 100 milliseconds or something like that from, a, from the perspective mm -hmm. of a user is relatively not noticeable. It turns out that users, that like people using software can notice interaction delays down to like 10 or 15 milliseconds. It's kind of insane. But you can build these That's little demos nuts. where <laughs> it, like, it actually feels different if you change the delay from 10 to 20 milliseconds. Well, so even that kind of yeah, difference is, like, is meaningful from a speed perspective. There's an interesting thing about that, that too, actually. I, I was reading about um, people who get accustomed to certain timings of user interface reactions like if you if you chop that down as close to zero as possible from from a speed of light perspective and all that kind of stuff right where you 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 click a button and something happens or the button changes if you do that fast enough people who are trained to wait 100 milliseconds 200 milliseconds or whatever will have a psychological experience of feeling like the button did the thing before they clicked mm -hmm. it yeah it's super interesting. That's super a cool, psychic button. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think as, as far as like S SAP realm, I, I always felt like this, this was a really, really important topic that people paid attention to in the, you know, in, in the pre HANA days. And now that everybody says, Ooh, this is this in memory platform and we can do anything possible and we don't have to worry about good, fast performing code because we have HANA and I, I just, I, I don't get that. Trying to push my buttons, John. It, you... <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to elicit, elicit some feelings. I've got, I think I've got some PTSD from listening to Hasso talk about how Hana made programs run like 10 billion times faster and like, you don't have to worry about performance anymore. And it's like, no, no, Hasso. Yeah. I can make Hana run Hasso. slow. Just watch me. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. But I think most devel most developers are like subconsciously thinking, "Oh, challenge accepted." <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's really a, a key issue. Is I'm not sure people forgot about it exactly. I mean, there was a lot of of junk. I think people put up with you know pre Hana with SAP around just the idea that stuff is not going to be fast and we have to do things in batch and, and, you know, et cetera, that maybe we try to do a lot more real time now with, um, with HANA and S4 HANA. But I think that what I see at a lot of places is that we are still very much willing to put up with um, long running queries and, and long wait times on service calls. And, you know, by long, it might mean that, the query or the service call takes half a second or two seconds, but there's usually no reason for that to be the case, right? So 
usually that's just not that complex, but um, there was a mistake made or there wasn't enough effort put into modeling it correctly because we kind of think that HANA is just going to fix it all for us. Um, and by definition, it's as fast as it can possibly be. Yeah. And that's just not, not the case. Yeah. You can, um, yeah, you, you put a little work into it and you can, you can really make great things happen. So Jen, I want to circle back to you. Um, <clears throat> When it comes to, I have, I have a question in two parts for you. Okay. Uh, the first part is, what's the best way to actually go about creating a great UX design in SAP? And the second part is, why is that design thinking? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I feel like there was an answer in there. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, but 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 seriously, though, like what what is it about design thinking that makes it such a great way to 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 make this happen? Mm -hmm. You think, Jen? Um, I think it works so well because it just has like so many different aspects that you mm -hmm. look at things or like different angles that you look at things from that it allows you to get the full story. So, I think a lot of times there's apps that are built where it's just three IT people or three people who haven't talked to the users or it doesn't matter how many they sit in a room and they build this app and they're like, Oh yeah, they're going to use it like this. They're going to use it like this. But I know there's a prime example that we have used like over and over again in our workshops. Um, and it is where I think it was Andy um, went down to one of the plants and people up in Minnesota that, that, like oh let's create this app and then they'll use it like so well and so we went down um to i think mexico i think it was right. um That's and right. they went to the plant and they mm -hmm. found out that everyone was writing on paper and then giving it to this back office where all these other people were entering the data so <laughs> it's like everyone up in minneapolis thought that they're like going in and entering this information themselves but it's like they hired this whole staff just to do this one task like they, they um, hired people yeah, like, exactly. To, to who carry who paper? could know nothing about the thing actually being done? Yeah, just mm -hmm. to like type the thing into the system. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we've seen was, it at plenty other clients too, where it's just like there's these people just there to enter data. Yeah. So. And 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 I guess I guess part of what part of what it is too, I think, is that like it's that discovery aspect, right? The mm -hmm. the people sure. in the room didn't even know that was happening, mm -hmm. right? So that that yeah. discovery feeds into that design I think and, and makes it mm -hmm. better too yeah and so that that's why I think when we do design thinking and when other companies do it as well um, they try to get the different parties involved they get people from IT they get people from the business they get the users that are going to use it so you like you get you get the money aspect you get the technical aspect and you get the yeah. people who like what they're actually doing in there so I think that works really well was so and forgive me for being ignorant of your education and training it, the, like the mm -hmm. design methodologies like design thinking was is that part of your your background or is that something you sort of come to after like the graphic design mm -hmm. portion of what you what your expertise is yeah so in school i didn't actually learn i didn't learn like the design thinking part of it mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. we had like maybe a week or something on something like that but it's mostly learning through mindset and, on the job kind of stuff. Yeah, we're not the only people that do, that do it. There's people create vacuums using design thinking and toothbrushes using design thinking. So, uh, whoever is editing this podcast, please strike that last bit that what Jen said. 
the truth of the universe is that mindset is the only person that does this. Yeah. Kelsey is going to be so confused. <laughs> we are the only ones. We're the only ones. Oh my gosh. We're the only ones. Second trademark of the night. Just leave this all Second in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kelsey, don't edit. The, Kelsey, leave this all in. This is good stuff. This is, this is great. This is great comedy outtakes here, guys. This is this is gold. This is fucking gold. Leave it in. <laughs> so, John, I know you. You've actually you you in in a previous life at, at Mindset, you have done quite a number of these design thinking sessions. What what do you think is the best like? What's the best sort of single way to, to make a design thinking session really pop and shine for creating that UX design? Like what's, what's one of the activities or one of the things that really snaps it to life for that? The, the biggest thing in the design thinking workshop from my experience to make it successful, for, to, to, make, to make the, the people that are within that design thinking workshop see it as successful is... Mm-hmm all the collaboration that happens. So like what, what Jen said is you have, you have business sponsors in the room, you have IT folks in the room, you have real end users in the room. These are three to four to even up to six groups of people that have never talked to each other within a company. And right. nine times out of 10, when we lead these, these, this is the first time that those people have met. And to hear, oh, this is why we did this from an IT perspective, or this is why the end user needs it like this. It's almost like we can kind of extract ourselves from that and let those people talk for up to, you know, an hour or two mm-hmm. Each, mm-hmm. each day. And that's, you know, that's what lunch is for. That's what some of the fun activities yeah. are for. That's why we break people into groups and do different activities. And just that alone, people come away with, holy crap, I learned so much this week. And announced to us, maybe. You know, it, maybe mm-hmm. they didn't learn yeah. anything from mindset that week. That, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. Just FYI. Uh, but, Kelsey, I edit for you. Uh, uh, mark 10 seconds ago and strike from the record, please. That, that, that doesn't really happen. But, but you know, just, just, that, just that collaboration with everyone. And mm-hmm. I, I think the, the – so, so that's the first most important part. The, yeah. the second most important part to me is, is the, the example Jen gave of – going to Mexico to a plant and seeing something completely different than what anyone thought was going on. It's real in-person understanding and observations of what people or how people actually interact with the system mm-hmm. that you're designing for. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many examples too of like someone could sit and tell you their process all day for 30, 40, 50 hours. But if you sit down with them at their desk, you're going to see them, turn to the left and look at this sheet on their their wall or like open up this binder that's next to them they always have to reference so yeah, it's just like little things like that yeah. or like maybe there's a post-it note on the computer that they have information yeah. for like like exactly. I, I think a lot of times they've even forgotten they do that stuff right yeah it, it's, yeah because they do it every day yeah. so they don't think about it mm-hmm. I, I i used to joke around with people in in some of the observations where Let's say we're in a manufacturing facility or a warehouse. Um, a couple other places you see it, you know, in the back office, but usually it's in in those two. But um, I'll I'll tell the design thinking participants that, you know, if I if by the time we walk around the plant, I can't log into your SAP system, then we've missed something, because there's always a post-it note. 
There's always a password. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, always something under someone's keyboard or on the monitor <laughs> or to the side. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's hilarious because you take pictures of how people are working with the systems and that's what you gather. And it's yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. one of the most fun parts and one of the most eye opening things too. Ethan, break it down for the nerds listening. How can a <laughs> how can a developer get good at implementing great UX design? I'm just an, I'm I'm just an implementer. I'm not I'm a, I'm a data entry person more or less. <laughs> yeah, you are you are <laughs> merely you are merely a, an automaton who types numbers into an IDE. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're just you're just you're just a typist. Yeah, really rev- revelatory a little bit, or something I've learned a lot and I'm kind of and kind of soaking up is how important it is to have developers who are actually working on the software. Um, sort of witness these conversations at least you know like i think there are different extents to which there's an appetite for having Mm. um, a sort of full design thinking experience and having developers fully involved in it even an appetite for doing this kind of observation which is just so central to the um to some of the value that design thinking can provide but yeah having the having developers actually see how um, engaged people are and how they actually are using the systems and how important it is, how it actually relates to their job uh, is, is really important for getting developers sort of on board with um, building software with great user experience. It is really difficult to have developers take ownership and care. And it's not even so much that they don't care or don't um, try to go, do a good job is just that it's impossible to understand what a good job even looks like if you don't have the context and have that um, have a direct relationship and understanding of what people are actually trying to do with the tool you're trying to build. You can't just kind of throw requirements over the wall in a vacuum and expect the person who takes that yeah. requirements document to really understand what you're asking for. Um, no matter how detailed you make it, no matter how like step by step you try to do it, you know you can send them pseudocode, and what comes back is yeah. not going to be what you had in mind, right? Yeah. You know, I also there's a lot of times I think of like a requirements document as like you guys have played the the telephone game, right? Where you whisper to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, a requirements document is a game of telephone, because sure. rather than telling somebody, you told a document, and the document told the person, and like. 85% mm-hmm. of what's really there is lost in one step. Right. And it can be a great, like it can be a good way to sort of um, record things yeah. for, for, posterity. You know, for posterity and for reference and that kind of stuff. But it, but it doesn't work very well as a way to communicate what yeah. is needed. Uh, and so you have to have other channels for that kind of thing. Yeah. So design thinking uh, works great for that to help get developers on board with and understanding what exactly we're trying to do here and why it's important and who it's important for so that they know who to reach out for and they can um, visualize this, the personas that are going to be using their software, whether or not those people are actually in the room, like all of them at design thinking. Um, during that process, you get a, you get a good idea of, of who yeah. these people are. Yeah. I always felt like it was, it, it almost gave them a, a, a bigger sense of, of, you know, what this means to them as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're participating in the session. They see how painful this is and they take that and say, I have a ton of ways that 
I might be able to make this better. I'm, I'm involved in the process. I'm, I'm, I'm in this. Yeah. So in summary, empathy. So it's this. <laughs> in summary, <laughs> empathy. So actually, there, there is something I want to do for the summary. I want to have Jen. I'm Jen. I'm, my, my finger is pointing at your <laughs> video thing on the screen here. Uh, I want Jen to give us the like pretend that we are sort of fresh UX designer babes just delivered from our from the womb or whatever. Like uh -huh. what? Like teach teach us like sort of pass on to us some wisdom about the the process of learning and becoming better at that stuff that we can mm -hmm. take forward. Number one is think about the user. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, honestly, really like empathy is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Cause if like you can create an app and it could look really cool and you can think it looks or like it works really well. It's like mm -hmm. you, you made it, you designed it. So you know exactly how it works. But mm -hmm. if you don't think about that user coming in and using this app for the first time or this website for the first time, and like how it could be frustrating for them because they didn't build it. Yeah. So um, yeah. just looking at it from the eye of the person who's going to be using it. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number one. Number mm -hmm. one. Yeah. All of our listeners who are fresh from the womb in the UX design world. <laughs> of little junior. Uh, <laughs> take, take that advice to heart. Uh, well, thanks guys for the, the extended discussion on the, what makes SAP, the secrets of SAP UX design. Before we go, we have a contentious topic, something that makes people upset and angry and wanting to do violence to one another. And it, it came up in a Slack channel in our company. And I kind of want to bring this out and sort of hear fuller thoughts on this. The, the, the topic for debate is spaces. Specifically, when you end a sentence and you push the space bar down and begin a new sentence, how many times do you push the space bar down, Jen? One. One. Ethan? On the computer, on I push computer. it down once. On iOS, I push it down twice so that I get a period and one a single space. space. That's, that's okay. reasonable. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay. John? I'm going to blow this up right now. Two. <laughs> Two, two. See, so my answer is the same as Ethan and Jen's. Okay, so this is this is a three-on-one thing. But but I I never I, knew I, this was such a big deal because I only thought people did one space. No, well, so <laughs> for me it was. No, these Jen, these people. Yeah, yeah I found <laughs> you, that you out. Are, you are talking to one of them on this thing right now. But actually, <laughs> at least for me. It was, it changed at some point because I used to, on computers, I used to make two spaces between a sentence, right? Yeah. And then somebody told me, I don't even know when it was, that that's just not the thing anymore. And then everywhere <laughs> I looked, it was true. So John, why, why are you holding out? What, what is the deal? I apparently, I apparently never got the memo those years ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's only two reasons why I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not going to come to blows with anyone over my one to two spaces argument. Well, maybe you're not. But, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it did. That Slack channel did seem to get a little contentious. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. A little hairy. But it was, it was awesome. Um, the only two reasons I can, I can even give are from like. A, a burned in memory in my head from fifth grade 
and another like burned in memory from high school. And the first one was I learned to, I learned to type on a typewriter and I had Mm -hmm. a very specific typing teacher Mm -hmm. that would yell at us (laughs) a lot for not doing Mm -hmm. things properly properly. And so Mm -hmm. when we're, Practicing our typing, the, the thing that's burned into my memory is he, he would always yell out the, the keys that you were supposed to hit. Um, and, and then he'd check your pieces of paper as it went through. And so you just hear this, this voice haunts me in the background that just says, <laughs> ASDFG space, HJKL semicolon. And, you know, so you can like train your <laughs> fingers to know where the keys are on the keyboard. <laughs> But then, you know, you can see where that translates down to sentences, two spaces, you must do this or, or you will get yelled at from, right. from teacher. And then so you literally hear a voice from the past. I do. Screaming at you <laughs> yes. to put the two spaces in. Yes. So that, that's. Okay. Was this guy like a drill sergeant? I think so. On the I, actually, I actually do think so. Because it, it came off exactly like that. <laughs> John, John, I'm literally going into our Slack history right now <laughs> to look at times like we, we t- you. I did not reply. I didn't reply to the conversation. I just, I just laughed from (laughs) afar. (laughs) There's no evidence of John's um, wayward. You double space on blogs. Actually, what I'm looking at is, is like you and just you, John. Just the chats we've had, like between the two of us. I can. You're double spacing between the sentences. It's just it's inherent. Oh no! You're never going to talk to me again. Well, this is, but this is, this is like, I'm going to like here, this here, just, I'm going to give you a tip for interacting with me from now on, John. And the the tip is this. Don't. Don't. We're done. No, no, no. but I, I honestly, I didn't notice this, but now that I can see, I can visually see that you're doing that. I'm going to notice it every time. You're, you're never going to unsee it now. I'm never going to unsee the like slightly bigger gap between a period <gasps> and a capital this is why this God, is I see it on mine too. Oh, Can you is, see this it? Is, this is ridiculous. Oh, no. This is why no no one's ever oh. going to interact with me ever again. John, John, I'm sorry, dude. You're going to have to do one can, sentence max Slack messages <laughs> now on. Avoid the judgment. Can you, can you point me to sentence, your sources, enter, Paul, that, that changed your mind? No, I can't. I actually can't because... I know it was somebody telling me like, Hey, you don't have to do two spaces anymore. And then I started looking, I just, I did the same. I looked around and I noticed that people weren't doing it in whatever chat thing or whatever. And I was like, okay, well, Hey, one less, one less space bar whack. I'm golden. You know, (laughs) I'm late. That's why I'm a developer. I'm lazy. So Uh, one less and then boom, that's good. But John, you were right to do it back then because it's an artifact of monospace fonts yeah. on typewriters yeah. where it would look weird if you typed a period and then one space because the period has so much space to it like in front yeah. of it and behind it hmm. yeah and so but if you look at typeset books for example that are actually typeset they've always had one space between a period and the following sentence because they're not typed on typewriters yeah. they're typeset so they actually yeah. use the proper spacing on their letters so i think you guys <laughs> can all blame this on some designer somewhere that was like this doesn't look right yeah yeah that's true I mean, right? maybe double space i can just see like one of those like the font design things that has the letter mm-hmm. but also has the little lines detailing where the shapes go that mm-hmm. created that letter with the serif or whatever in there too and yeah there's going to be something somewhere that 
you know, 42 microns is too many. Uh, whatever. We, um, we, we should have had Kelsey as a guest on this. Isn't she a typeset? Type is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Designer. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Just a letter. Yep. Tune in next week for the riveting discussion about whether punctuation should go inside or outside of quotation marks. Man, that's crazy. That's that's craziness. Okay, well, I guess I guess here I'll I'll just offer a summary then of the debate. And I think John, I think you'll like this. Okay, John, you used to be correct, (laughs) and now you are not correct, (laughs) which is I think better than always being incorrect. So kudos to you. And now we just simply encourage you to join us in correctness. Uh, kudos to you. Change your ways, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I heard. Yeah. The Mindset Nebula, offering life lessons to listeners since 2020. Uh, well, guys, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Everyone, thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter if we have a Twitter thing at some point. Go to our Simplecast page. Uh, follow the rest of us on Twitter at our individual things. Read our show notes. Like, subscribe, comment, share, uh, and have a good time. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.